Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be beginning verse 17. Luke chapter 6. Uh, if you're visiting Christ Church this morning, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here, and we're glad you're with us for this series called The Gospel. We're taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're synchronizing them to the best chronology we can imagine about how the life of Jesus is displayed in those four stories of his ministry. Uh, last week, if you were with us, Michael Tafazio and I had a dialogue on stage about the Beatitudes and how we're to see them. Uh, we discussed the Sermon on the Mountain, uh, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and we were all encouraged to read it at least three times, and I hope you were able to do that this week. We discussed that this Beatitudes, these blessings that Jesus began with, were really an invitation to an unconventional kingdom. It was an invitation to a group of people who were not likely to be invited to anything else. In fact, some of the blessings on them don't make sense to us because they just seem so strange, that blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are meek, blessed are those who mourn. But what we want you to understand is that this is not how we achieve his blessings, but this is how we receive them, that Jesus is offering us an unconventional kingdom for an unconventional age. Now today what we're going to do is we're going to flip over to Luke and we're going to look at Luke's displaying of the same Beatitudes. But Luke does something with them that Matthew doesn't. Luke also includes some warnings or in the New Testament they're called woes, W-O-E-S, where Jesus said, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Whenever he does that, he's offering a warning, not a threat, but a warning to awaken to his truth. As uh, Zach told you A little bit, uh, I wish I'd have known it was Blues Brother Sunday. I would have dressed just like him. That would have been so fun, but I didn't know that. Uh, But when Zach was up here, he said uh, the, the main thought of the morning, there is a pattern, a power, and an impact to the gospel message. And we're going to talk about that this morning in comparison. There's a pattern, there's a power, and there's an impact to what Jesus is offering us. But I want you to know that there's a pattern, there's a power, and there's an impact of what the world is offering you too. And at the end of today, you get to choose which kingdom you're going to be a part of. Whose pattern, power, and impact matters most to you? Because Jesus is bringing a revolution. And the revolution happens within the current kingdom. They always do. Historians will assess kingdom by these three things. Pattern. In other words, any king or new administration coming into power will state what their values are what they're shooting for, what they hope to accomplish, and why they hope to accomplish it. Michael effectively last week equated the Beatitudes to Jesus' campaign platform, if you remember. This is what he was intending to do, was to invite people who were never invited into this unconventional kingdom. Now, allow me to slip over to an easy one. In the sports world, when a new coach comes onto a team, that coach will come in and say, listen, this team was under-conditioned. Conditioning is a value of us. Or we couldn't run the football, so we're going to run the football. It's not going to be all pass. It's going to be run and pass. You get this, right? Every president comes in and says, the former president was worthless. I'm the deal. And they're not. But they come in making promises that here are the values we're going to fight for. 
So there, there are these platforms of values. Then there's the power. How are they going to get it done? How will it be implemented? What will happen if it does or doesn't happen? And then there's the impact, which time assesses. What happens when the pattern and the power work effectively? What difference did it make? So historians assess that every kingdom that's ever existed comes with a pattern of values, power to get it done, and impact on the culture and the world. This is what Jesus is revealing in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about what he's planning to do, the values behind it, the ethics, if you will, the power he has to get it done, and then what impact it will have. We're very blessed because we live thousands of years after Jesus, so the impact is undeniable. No kingdom has ever had the lasting impact that Jesus' kingdom has had. You note that, right? Rome was amazing. Rome is still talked about. Rome is dead. Jesus was amazing. Jesus is still talked about. He ain't dead. So when we think about this kingdom, I want you to understand, this is what we're looking at when Jesus talks about the Sermon on the Mount. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, For he, Jesus has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. You get to choose your kingdom, church. And you have to choose it every day. Because if you don't choose it every day, you can end up going to the other side and not even know it. Now, I'm not saying that all said, well, am I saved or not? Let's get over that. How's your day today? And whose kingdom is ruling your day? Focus on that. Everything else takes care of itself. Two dominions, two kingdoms, two distinct power bases, two interesting impacts. Luke chapter 6, verse 17. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured. And the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how the fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. What? I, I was taught how to preach. It's, it's not obvious I was, but I was taught how to preach by somebody who knew what they were talking about. And I promise you, they never taught us to end it with threat, 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 threat. And yet, the master of the universe chose to. Warning. Warning, 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 warning. There are two kingdoms. Let's talk about them. The first we'll refer to as the kingdom of the now. And we in America, we love this kingdom. It's the kingdom of the now. The pattern, right, the pattern or values that the kingdom of the now offers us and invites us in, it invites us to have power, to live in comfort, to have success over others, 
to receive recognition, acclaim, popularity, and celebrity. Those aren't my opinions. Listen to what Jesus said. Those of you who are rich, well-fed, those of you who laugh, those of you when all men speak well of you. The kingdom of the now says, if you're not comfortable, if you're not wealthy, if you're not successful, and if you're not powerful, you're not much. Kingdom of the now says, this is what you have to go after. This is the most important things. And Jesus offers us weakness, sacrifice, grief, and exclusion. Who's in? Nobody in their right mind says, really? I can get beat, beaten up, picked on, excluded, taken advantage of. Count me in. That's exactly what he's offering. I told you it's an unconventional kingdom. Compared to the kingdom of the now, I'll be honest with you, when it comes to weakness, sacrifice, grief, and exclusion, I spend most of my days avoiding those things. How about you? I work very, very hard to make sure those never happen to me. I'm not going to choose those. If they happen to me and I've done everything I can to stop it, then there's nothing more I could do. But I live my entire life in an antithetical way to what Jesus called me to do. He called me to say, listen, don't be defined by the now kingdom. The pattern of the now kingdom is to seek power, success, comfort, and recognition over and above everything else. Spend your life to get these. Why? Because they can't be taken from you. Oh, or can they? The power. The power of the kingdom is self-satisfaction and self-preservation. That's what the kingdom of the now, it's what culture is offering you. Provide for yourself. If you have, hold on to it. If you have not, do whatever you can to get it. For most of us, the past is gone and we dismiss it. And the future, well, who knows what the future brings. So what does that leave us? Right now. If I'm successful, if I'm happy, if I'm content, and if people like me, then I have the perfect kingdom. And Jesus says, when you live according to these values, driven by the power of the now, Jesus said, be very careful. It's a kingdom built on sand. And when the storms come, and they will, that kingdom will topple. You may laugh now, but what happens when you have to weep? You may be filled now, but what happens when life knocks you over and you're empty? It isn't that Jesus is cursing us. Please understand. Jesus isn't saying, if you're rich now, I'm going to penalize you later. He's saying, no, no, that'll take care of itself. The world will take what it's given you because you're a commodity. You're not its interest. You're simply a commodity to get what it wants. So we see the pattern of values is to get success, get comfort, get power, get these things now. And the power is that if you're satisfied now, work for those things, grab those things and hold on to them with your life. But the impact, this is where we need to have a mind toward eternity and not a mind toward immediacy. So let me ask you a series of questions. And if these sound familiar, all I've basically done is take the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament and summarized it in four questions. If you build your life on the right now, you will get results in the now. But can you sustain them by your own power? And if you can't, then what? And if you build your life on acclaim, what will happen when your audience fades? If you build your life on people who have to love you for you to feel complete, what happens when they die or become disappointed in you? 
And if you build your life on achievement and a power, what happens when your records are eclipsed and somebody else takes that spot? It's the book of Ecclesiastes. Life is what? Meaningless. If all you have is what you can control. What Jesus is saying goes absolutely against everything we believe, so why should we believe him? Pay close attention to what preceded this. The reason I began in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 17, I hope you still have your Bibles open. But if you have them open, I want you to just glance really quickly at verses 17 through verse 22. And you're going to notice that Luke told us what was taking place and why we should believe him. He came down from the mountain. Remember, he spent the night on the mountaintop calling his apostles, the 12 apostles. He came down, he appointed those 12 and called them to follow him as messengers to the world of his kingdom. And as he went through the crowd, power was coming from him and people that were broken physically were being healed. People that were spiritually broken and demon-possessed were being healed. People that were outsiders and socially broken were being invited into the kingdom. What was the impact that made the crowd trust in Jesus because everything the world couldn't give them, he could. They could give them the now. Jesus could give them the forever. And the power that was coming from him was the opposite of theirs. You've probably heard the expression, the handwriting is on the wall. Just raise your hands. I know it's first hour, you won't talk to me. Okay, so a number of you understand this expression. The handwriting is on the wall. Do you know that that's biblical? It comes from Daniel chapter 5. There was the king of the Babylonian empire, Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar was being uh, attacked by Cyrus the Persian. And history will record that Cyrus' army was bigger and they figured out a way to get in and destroy the Babylonian empire. It was the last days of the empire and Belshazzar was so convinced that he was untouchable that while Cyrus was circling the city and digging under the walls to get in and take over, Belshazzar was throwing the party of all parties, the best food, the best wine. He had his concubines come in to please the men in the room. He had all of this huge extravagant celebration of his power and his glory, not realizing that as he was celebrating, his kingdom was coming down. And a hand, you remember the story? A hand appeared and scrolled on the wall. And the interpretation of what was scrolled, Daniel had to interpret it. What, the, what was scrolled on the wall, Daniel said, is king... Your days are numbered. The handwriting was on the wall. So why do I bring that up? Because I need you to know when Jesus came in power and in glory and in truth, the handwriting was on the wall to the former kingdom. He was saying to the kingdom of now, you're not sustainable. Your walls are coming down. You're built on a foundation that will not last And yet, the truth of the matter is, for many of us in the room, including your preacher, so many times I worship the kingdom of the now. I got enough in my table. I got enough in my garage. I got a big enough home. I got friends. I got people who like me. I got enough cash so I think maybe one day I might retire. I got everything I need. It's a good thing. And Jesus said, if all of that were gone, would it still be a good thing? Or is that your security? Dr. Timothy Keller says, anything when taken away from us, that could ruin our lives is most likely our God. The handwriting church is on the wall. The kingdom of the now is unsustainable. When Jesus showed up and fixed 
all that the world couldn't touch, the handwriting was on the wall. So the kingdom of now will not last, which gives us the other kingdom that Jesus came to teach us, the kingdom of the heavens. Now, I wrote that the kingdom of the heavens, and theologically that's correct, but if I'd have been a smart preacher and I'd have matched my words, I would be comparing the kingdom of the now versus the kingdom of the new. And the kingdom of the heavens is the kingdom of the new. It's something so distinct and different. In fact, Jesus said it won't make sense to the world. The world will make fun of it. The world won't value it at all. But those who understand who's offering them, when you understand Jesus, you understand that the kingdom of the new is truly the kingdom of the heavens. You see, what makes someone a Christian is not their behavior. It's the values they live for. I want you to think about that with me this morning. Being a Christian doesn't mean you go to church and you don't cuss anymore and you read your Bible every day. It's the values on which you base your life. The kingdom of the now says it's success, it's power, it's fame, it's glory. The kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of the new says it's Jesus. If I have no success and I have Jesus, if I have no popularity and I have Jesus, if I, if I have no comfort in my life but I have Jesus, I have the one value that nothing can take away from me and that value is more valuable than anything else the world offers. Amen. You see, the pattern of Jesus' kingdom, the values, is that we're not controlled by power or success. We're not controlled by comfort or recognition. A person who is a Christian is living an unconventional kingdom because they know that Jesus Christ is the answer to every concern and worry they have. It's the pattern of our life. For example, let me just be real practical about it. I know last week we were a little esoteric. Michael and I were talking about what the Beatitudes should mean to us, and I think some walked out of here going, I don't know what to do with that. Let me show you what to do with it. Let's say we have a Two people, just picture two people. Someone who lives in the kingdom of the now. Well, look at your old self. Remember when you used to live for the kingdom of the now, trying to get success and power and fame. And then compare what you are now in the kingdom of the new. And here's what happens. You're at work. There's a situation where if you tell the truth, you're probably going to lose your job. You're not going to be able to get away with, yeah, I, I, I sent that email. When the answer may be, yeah, I forgot to do that email. Or, yeah, no, no, I was here, I just didn't punch in. When, no, you weren't there on time, you made a choice, you were delayed, you didn't get to work on time. Let's say it's something along those lines, that if you tell the truth, it's going to cost you your job. Someone who lives in the kingdom of the now, they're going to think, well, if I lose my job, I lose my house. And if I lose my job, then I lose my finances. And if I lose my job, then I lose my place. And if I lose my job, I lose my reputation. If I lose my job, I can't control my life. What will they do? They'll lie kingdom of the new, that person says, yeah, my, a house is a house and my job is a job and money is important, but it's not that important. I would rather choose to trust that Jesus says the truth will set you free living in truth than to live in the now. The person in the now will lie because they have to protect their most important things. The person in the kingdom will tell the truth, trusting that if they tell the truth, it's God's problem and no longer theirs. Are you with me? So when Jesus said, blessed are those who hurt Blessed are those who struggle. Blessed are those who can't catch a break. He's saying, I will make up what you give away for me. The world will never make up what you give away for it. It will only take and take and take until it has your soul. So Jesus was saying, 
Blessed are those who never feel blessed. But woe to you who are building a kingdom on your own control. Remember from last week, the word blessed means deeply satisfied. Deeply satisfied. Not temporarily satisfied, but deeply. In verse 23, Jesus said, rejoice in that day when you're excluded. Rejoice in that day when you're broken. Rejoice in that day and you're like, okay, time out. I get this. But that's kind of dumb, isn't it? Someone punches you in the mouth, turn the other cheek and say, hey, you, you missed this side. What? If your enemy's persecuting you, give him more than he asks for. What? But Jesus said, no, listen to me. Don't let the world place its values in your heart so that you reshape who you are for what they want. Place my values in your heart, my ethics in your heart, and trust me, and I will deliver. And he says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. And I want you to notice something in verse 23. If you have your Bibles open, look at it right now. He doesn't say that great is your reward one day. He doesn't say then your reward will be great. He says great is your reward. Church, listen to me. He's not making a promise about the future. He's telling you right now, God is enough and God is rewarding. Did you catch that? For church people who for the longest time can't wait till we die to get all that we're supposed to get, it's available to you now in Jesus. The world's values will fade away. Christ will never fade away. He says in verse 22 that when they exclude you and they persecute you because of me, your reward is already here. It's Jesus. Great is your reward in heaven, not great will be your reward. Paul would say in Colossians 3, I've set my mind not on things below, but on things that are above. I set my mind on the things that Jesus says are real, not what the world says is real. So we have the pattern. The pattern for Jesus is to trust him in this. The power, where do you get this power? Verse 19, and and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Jesus is telling us, if you're excluded, don't be upset, you've lost nothing. If you're rejected, don't be upset, you've lost nothing. If you're a failure, don't be upset, you've lost nothing. If you're weeping, don't be upset, I'll dry your tears. This is what happens to the prophets. The prophets were denied, excluded. He said, look at what they did on the cause of God because they knew who God was. They knew that no matter what the world did to them, it wasn't the same value as what God was doing for them. Are you with me? Church, the value and the power of the kingdom of heaven is found only in Jesus and our belief in who he is. So some people might say, because Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, that I'm going to have to suffer like Jesus. And I want to call a timeout. If we want to properly understand the gospel, we've not been asked to suffer like Jesus. We've been asked to understand the suffering of Jesus. Now, some of us in this room may have to suffer for the cause of Christ. Across the world, people do it every day. But our example is not to suffer like Jesus did. That makes us Jesus. Our example is to, to take the sufferings of Jesus as our own. So when you're excluded, remember who else was excluded and who do you choose to be with? 
And when you're rejected, you think, who else was rejected? And how did he honor God through that rejection? I'm going to use the example of Jesus, and therein lies the power of the gospel. He took my place, and by taking my place, I am the most valuable thing in all creation. Did you catch that? When God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son. Why did he give his son his most valuable possession? So that you and I would be freed. The gospel is not that we do what Jesus does. The gospel is that we receive what Jesus gave. And what would be greater than that? And if following Christ cost us everything, what have we lost? Absolutely nothing, Paul says. Nothing in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ is my Lord. So you thought we were a little messed up last week, a little esoteric. I'm blowing your mind, aren't I? The kingdom of the now versus the kingdom of the new. And we get to choose which we are. You see, if you live in the new kingdom, you say, I have nothing of value that can be taken from me if I have Jesus. God owes me nothing. I rely completely on what Jesus has done for me and ask that he accept me. That's the new kingdom. In the old kingdom, the now kingdom, I've lived a pretty decent life. God owes me some basic things. He owes me comfort. He owes me uh, finances. He owes me health. And if he lets bad things happen to me, then he may not really be God. Do you see the difference between the now kingdom that promises you these things and the new kingdom that says, I'll give you something of greater value and even death can't take it from you? Because Jesus reversed his fortunes with you, you can reverse your fortunes with everybody. That's why we turn our cheek to our enemy. That's why we go the extra mile. That's why we give more than we should have to give. That's why we look at injustice and we say, not a big deal. We'll fight for injustice. But when injustice is done to me, I trust that God is bigger. So what's the impact? We know that the values are and we know what the, the promise is and the power. But what's the impact? Look at Luke chapter 1 verse 30. Remember what the angel said to Mary when the angel told Mary she was going to have a son. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to call him, give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will, church, never end. In Mark chapter 13, verse 31, It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So am I living a life in which I'm controlled by the things that the world says I have to have? Am I holding on to the values of the now? See, many of us, and I struggle with this every day. I'm not, I'm going to be transparent. I struggle with this every day. Do you all like me? Is what I did on Sunday morning good enough? Did people appreciate it? Did they understand it? Did I make a mess of it? I live for applause. I live for success, whatever that changing dynamic is. That, can I retire one day? Will I have enough money to be able to retire? And what if, what if not? Then am I going to be a burden on my kids? And I struggle with these things. I was told a, a story by my grandma uh, at the farm in Missouri. She said when the winter blizzards would come in, she said when she was a little girl, she remembered her daddy tying a, a rope from the back porch of the house to the barn so she could hold the rope when she went out to feed the animals. Because so, he wanted to tell her, if you hold onto the rope and follow its direction, it'll get you home. She said as a little girl, she was scared in the blizzards that she might get lost. So her daddy gave her a rope. 
And Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to give you a rope from this life to my presence. And it works every day. It's the word of God. And if you hold on to that rope, it'll take you. You won't get lost. Hold on to it. It's a light unto my feet, a, light, a lamp unto my path. It's, it's my direction. I'm telling you today that the world preaches more sermons to you than you even know you're being preached to. Hear the words of Jesus. Blessed are those who trust me. My words will never end. My kingdom will never end. The world says, no, 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 trust me. I can make you feel good when? Now. But it takes you down a path that leads to death and destruction. It's, It's really simple and very complex at the same time. Jesus said, trust that I'm enough, even when the world says I'm not. And the world says, no, trust that we're enough. We'll make you content. But for how long? Because most of us in this room are old enough to know that the world's promises underdeliver, And Jesus' promises only fulfill. Amen? So the question of the morning to us is, whose kingdom do you want to be a part of? The kingdom of the now and you can have a good day. Or the kingdom of forever. And that's self-explanatory. If you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I mean not you go to church, if you've never made a decision to become a follower of Jesus, to say, I want to be a part of the kingdom that will never end. I I no longer want to buy into the values of a lost kingdom. I want to be a part of a kingdom that's lasted for 2,000 years and will go for eternity. I'd love to have a conversation with you in the foyer. In a very safe environment, I'd love to talk to you about what it means to become a disciple of Jesus because Jesus doesn't promise you success and power and fame and fortune. He promises you a real life that will one day end in death but will become alive again because of who he is. And nothing can take that away from us. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.